Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of Middle Class Rockstar. This is episode 27 with Andrew Harrison out of Portland, Oregon. We're doing two episodes on consecutive weeks. Buckstein came out December 12th, and this Andrew Harrison episode is coming out December 19th. We usually release every other Thursday, but next week is Christmas week, and after chatting with Patrick, we thought it would be better for listenership. Is that how you express viewership when you're not viewing anything? Maybe. Anyway, listenership will be better if we take off the Christmas week, and then we'll be back on again on January 2nd. So just taking a—we're getting this one out early. Today, if you're listening on release day, is December 19th. I'm very excited. My band is playing at the Ogden Theater. We're opening for Co. Wetzel uh, this evening, and it's it's going to be awesome. It's one of those bucket list venues for me. If you're a Denver musician, the Ogden Theater is one of those— it's one of the venues you want to play. It's one of the ones that's on the list as a high schooler. So I'm excited to I'm excited to finally get to do it. But it is the holiday season. Not but. It is the holiday season. Separate thoughts. It's the holiday season. What are your traditions? I'm thinking maybe we could listen to this podcast together, do a little last-minute Christmas shopping or Hanukkah shopping or whatever you do. Then maybe we could go back. We could have some eggnog. We could watch a movie. We could light a fire. Perhaps even... Later we'll have some pumpkin pie and we'll do some caroling. Maybe we'll have some fucking pie and do some caroling. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's my favorite Christmas song because Brenda Lee is totally saying fucking. And it's not like, it's not like she doesn't know. It's not like it was done by accident. She said, I'm just so... I'm just an innocent singer and I'm doing this Christmas song and I'm going to I'm going to use drop an F bomb. And I'm going to be the first F bomb ever played on the radio. So Brenda Lee, congrats to you on uh unsuccessfully transforming pumpkin into fucking. Well, let's jump into the episode. My guest today is Andrew Harrison. We go way way back. We met in middle school in 7th grade. He moved from California. He was the cool guy with the checkered shoes and the longboard. Us Coloradans had never seen anything like it. And he played guitar. And uh, we were in the band together. He played, I think he was trumpet and French horn or something in the band, and then played guitar in the jazz band. And I was a sax player at the time. So we were in band together, and we were buddies. We were both musicians. And went our separate ways in high school. He went to a, a different school. I went to Holy Family in Broomfield. He went to Monarch High School. And then he went to USC uh, for college and went to Boston, is now living in Portland where he has a house and is doing his thing out there. With the played with a whole bunch of projects uh, recently, Brother Not Brother. And he has a new project now called Blue U. He's just starting to release music for that project. But Andrew was was a, a necessary part of my formative years. He was he was playing guitar and I remember I, I was a, a sax and piano player. I'd taken private piano lessons for a long time and was playing sax in the band, but he was getting all the girls and he was a guitar player. And I thought, well man, I can do that on the piano. 
but I'm not getting any girls. And there, I, I think I didn't see it at the time, but there was probably other issues there for why that was. But it was one of the main reasons why I, I wanted to really start playing guitar. There was the there was the Buddy Guy show when I was 10 years old at the Boulder Theater, and there was Andrew moving to Colorado and, and going to middle school and living in the neighborhood with me. And I thought, man, guitar's cool. I want to I wanna learn how to play guitar. And, of course, my dad was a guitar player too, but um, what your dad's doing isn't cool when you're a kid. Um, but then I, I sort of said, well, actually, maybe it is sort of cool. So I... I pestered my dad for a few lessons and some chords, and I, I started on my guitar journey. So thanks, buddy guy, dad, and Andrew. Anyhow, we're going to jump in. We're going to chat for a few minutes. He was just in town visiting. He, uh, you know, he went, taking some time, needed a breather. He has a couple of friends out here, me and, and uh, another pal we went to middle school with, and he said, hey, I'm just taking a couple of days off. Let's go. Let's go drink, wreak havoc around, wreak havoc around town, reap havoc. You would reap havoc, right? <laughs> you wouldn't wreak havoc, <laughs> I think. <laughs> anyway, caused trouble around town, and and we did exactly that. He just left a few minutes ago, but we sat down, yeah, yesterday, and 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 recorded a podcast. So I'm excited to jump into this one. My guest, Andrew Harrison. Please enjoy. How does the mic smell? Curious. Curious. Yeah. Uh, I'll have to think about who used it last. Yeah. Well, this probably the last two episodes. Yeah. Well, now your tongue's on it too. No, I'm just you know I'm just showing you what what likely happened. That's what likely happened. Mm-hmm. And and we're using fancy equipment. We've got two SM58s. Yeah, it's a in. shame that someone would <laughs> would fiddle this with their tongue. <laughs> this beautiful microphone. So how you doing? You what what brings you to Denver? I'm just here to follow you around like a little like one of these crazy dogs you got in your house. Yeah, there's a lot of them right now. Yeah. I don't know, man, just hanging out, you know. Me in Colorado, we go way back. So, good to be here. Back to 7th grade. That's right. When the crazy surfer showed up from California with checkered shoes. That's, yep, and then doubled down and went from regular regular checkered to pink and black checkered. Yeah. yeah. And then... That really helped with the bullying, by the way, to add pink into the wardrobe, for me at least. Helped with what? With the bullying. Oh, nice. Yeah, you know, that was the strong 13-year-old move. Be like, well, I'm getting bullied for these checkered shoes. You know what would maybe help me if I added pink into the equation with all these fucking douchey... Can I, oh, can I curse? Yeah, oh, it's fine? too late now. Uh, yeah, yeah, you can. Okay, you can I'll, I'll try to rein that in. You can in. say whatever you want. Try to rein it in, but uh, you yeah, you know. I remember just showing up to middle school in Colorado, such a trip coming from California because the kids are wearing like, they're all wearing like basketball shorts and like a tournament t-shirt that they've had since, you know, for five years or whatever. Like that's just what they wear every day. They just wear like a sports shirt and basketball shorts. And that's I'm wearing, what I wore. Yeah, I know. There's no, no one. There was no like fashion sense. So yeah, anybody who wanted to try to do, try to be an individual, mm-mm. couldn't do it. Not in middle school. Hell no. I remember you 
doubled down again because people actually started to think the checkered shoes, the Vans old schools were cool, believe it or not. You started to, you got so silly that people actually started wanting to model you. And so other people started getting Vans. So then you doubled down again and just went bright orange. Yeah, I'll, I do remember that. Yeah. I was think that was the eighth grade. Yeah. I got those, those super bright orange skate shoes and that was my entire identity for a year. Like my your shoes was the shoes. Like I'm pretty sure my like MySpace was like MySpace.com/slash my shoes are orange. Yeah, like I was the kid with orange shoes. That's the only way that I knew how to be an individual was to wear something loud. It worked. It worked. It worked. It you, you were you were all the rage. I did, it. I did it loud and proud. Did the orange shoes and you know never looked back. Yeah, you did the. Do you remember in eighth grade when? Um, I hit you in the leg with a baseball bat. You know, it was so traumatic that I think I blocked it out. But I remember last time I was here, you recounted the story for me. And I was like, you know, it's funny that you because you were in a way. I mean, I started it right. I was like bullying you. So it's not like you just did it out of nowhere. I was being an asshole as kids are. So but I don't remember being an asshole. I also don't remember you hitting me in the leg with a baseball bat. And it's you just ran funny. up the and tackled that, me in the hallway. The things that we carry. Why would I have tackled you? What were what was we fighting about? Well, we had just gotten done playing softball, and maybe there was some trash talk happening, and and so mm-hmm. you you stepped up to the plate, so to speak, and uh, you came and tackled me in the in the in the hallway as we were coming in from gym class. Because of something that happened in softball? Yeah, I don't remember what it was. But then the part that I think you failed to think through before tackling me was the fact that I was bringing in the bat. Oh, I see. So you were just rightfully defending yourself. I was just... Was this like the end... Like, because you and I, like, felt like, you know, went separate ways in high school. Obviously, you went to a different high school. But we still lived in the same neighborhood, and we just, like, never really... Hung out after was was this the the beginning of the end when I tackled you in the hallway? I well I remember the next day the next day in gym class you lifted up your leg and you had this huge bruise on your leg and I was afraid you were going to tell on me and I remember you said don't worry dude I deserved it uh, <laughs> and damn and then we were cool I think I can't we made actually up and believe shook hands. that I was like a self aware fourteen year old who was just like I'm sorry you were. <laughs> you were, you were, and and I, I shouldn't have done Amazing. that either. Of course, I think I apologize sure. for it or yeah, whatever. We both we both were wrong. We both were right, and we both were wrong. Right, right, and we so. got over it, and it was no big deal. But, uh, yeah, we did go separate ways in high school because we went to different schools, and I think we just, you know, that that's how it goes. I don't think yeah. it was intentional. I know it's just kind of a sad thing when I look back on it because you were, we were t- two of the only kids in like high school especially like freshman year who could like really play an instrument yeah we could have been making great music together and yeah. instead i was playing you know with these other i won't call them jabronis but sort of jabronis i mean nate was a great drummer but that band was just like my hype first high school band was just all me writing telling everyone what to do because no one wanted to figure out you know is that dream sound dream sounds still my email my email is still it. Dream Sound Music. I love that. If anyone wants to shoot me a quick, drop me a quick line. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that band name was stupid. No. Yeah, um, that yeah was we a, didn't even come up with it. It was a cool, I admired it. I remember maybe once in high school, I went over to your house because you'd had a show the night before and you popped popcorn and we watched the show. That's right. Our first show ever at Nisi's. Ah. Yeah. 
in Laf in Lafayette. Uh, yeah, I recorded it on my my dad had like a little digital handheld camera mm-hmm. and recorded it so that I could mm-hmm. listen back. Yeah, and of course I was like, yeah, I'm in, I'm incredible. It's so funny how when you're like really young, like my journey as a musician was, I am a god because I'm 14, 15, and I can play guitar really well and write my own songs. I'm yes. the only kid in the school doing it. And I'm in this small town in Colorado. You know, so I'm like, I'm a god all the way, you know, up to like junior, senior year, still feeling pretty good about myself doing the solo stuff. Then I go to USC, you know, to be a part of this music program. And I'm like, oh, wow, I'm the worst one by a lot, by so much. <laughs> like every single kid here is so much better at me than at everything. Yeah. Like there's someone here who like, like I think I'm a real guitarist. I remember there was a kid in my dorm on my dorm floor who wasn't even a music major who was just like, he was like, oh yeah, we should jam sometime. And we start jam and he's just starts shredding on this acoustic guitar. Just like Jimmy Hen- like Jimi Hendrix, just like absolutely shredding and like improvising. And I couldn't really improvise that well at that point. Yeah. And I was like, oh wow. Like even this kid who he's just a guy. He's just a guy and he's yeah. better at guitar than I am. He doesn't even take this shit seriously. Yeah. So it was very humbling and I feel like I it took me a full 10 years to finally like get confidence back. I got knocked down so hard in college, just like a real swift wake up call <laughs> of like, Hey, yeah. you can't really sing. Your songs are not great. And, uh, you're a mediocre guitar player best. So welcome. Yeah. It's just like, Damn. welcome to school. Yeah. Well, so let's, let's talk about that a little bit and to catch our audience up. Cause we just sort of, we just sort of pressed record and, and started in the middle of our sentence. Uh, Andrew and I, met in middle school he moved from california we went to monarch k8 together mm-hmm. in seventh and eighth grade in Louisville, colorado and then he went to monarch high school i went to the catholic school down the street holy mm-hmm. family yeah get a wholesome education yeah to get a wholesome education and to make sure i didn't try to untuck my shirt and i didn't just I, the shirt i learned or <laughs> was there something else tucked in there and i, I pulled school. one i pulled one out of your playbook in catholic school uh, not untucking anything, but I started wearing crazy shoes because that was the only thing that wasn't regulated. Oh yeah, that's uh, a good move. Couldn't wear sandals, but anyway, we we sort Why not? of got Jesus a little wore sandals. It's I know, weird. I know that it's weird. <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> I should bring that up with them. I'm all shooting. I just tweeted at them. It's yeah, fine. yeah. I don't think they've taken any of my suggestions <laughs> since I suggested to put a David star on top of the cross. Um, that's a great Catholic yeah. high school suggestion. Yeah, I think so. Anyway, we were disconnected a little bit in high school, so we just went separate directions. And then in college, super disconnected. I went to CU Denver and majored in piano. Andrew went to USC. Uh, I studied and, psychology, but I was like in I was in and out of the music school. And you were in and out of music like, school. Yeah. So here we are, USC, two thousand circa two thousand nine, two thousand ten. Yeah, yeah, and I'm just yeah, like I get in, uh, and immediately realize that I'm just I have very little to offer. Like all everybody who's like a vocal major, you know, is like really a legit vocalist. And then, yeah, I felt like songwriting. I was okay, but there were some kids at eighteen. I was just like, I can't believe you wrote that song. Like it's so it's so good. Um, everything about it was so good. And I'm like, my lyrics were kind of like needed a lot of work. They they were very like poetic and like didn't really make it like my songs weren't really about anything you know it was just kind of like stream of consciousness like oh these like words sound cool together so which is fine i mean it works for foo fighters but like i'm not dave grohl so i need <laughs> yeah. i need my songs to like carry a message and so 
I don't feel like it was until really my junior year. I, I wrote some okay stuff when I was like 19, but around the age of like 20, I finally, that pressure cooker environment of, of being in LA, surrounded by good musicians, finally started writing some songs that I was like, well, I got my heart broken. I think that helped. Yeah. Um, and I was in a, I was in a kind of folk rock band called Skyline Pigeons that was doing all right for LA. And those girls had a lot of money. So we were recording in like very cool spots on the West Coast. And you guys getting some good openers? Yeah, we had, we had some decent opener gigs. And we also just like, I don't know, those girls were just rich LA girls and they just like were connected, you know? So they would just be like, oh, we're playing like the Echo. And I'd be like, well, how are we playing the Echo? Like, how did we get this gig? Yeah. And it's like, I don't know. Like, yeah. But we're playing. And it's like, okay. Like, let's do it. Cool. Let's do it. Yeah. So that was fun until it wasn't. Um, I think we were all, it's just classic rock and roll, too many personalities, whatever. So then I kind of, I kind of, after that, I was still writing songs like my senior year. I quit that band uh, my junior year. And then I was hey, But still- you were, how active were you in music versus your major versus psychology what where where was your head at me i was when i was in skyline pigeons i was like this band is going to get signed and i'm going to drop out of school and we're going to go on a nationwide tour because we were very close we were like there were like interested labels and we had recorded at this major studio with this producer uh ryan hadlock who had like some serious connections and he Mm -hmm. really liked us and so he was like pulling some strings for us whatever for this big cd release that we were going to do and like it seemed like things were going to maybe fall into place and we were going to maybe get a good opportunity to to sign with someone and just like go out on the road and like do it you know how you always dream that you're gonna do it you get signed and then like you you know they prop you up and you start touring so it looked like that was gonna happen um so i was down to drop out of school i, I would, was telling myself like i'll come back and finish later but i would i would have i would have set it down to chase the dream for sure yeah then when i quit the band i was like i just went all in on psychology I didn't really know what I was going to do. Um, and I was still playing a little bit. I mean, I had been playing in two bands. I was playing for this girl, Meg Mahold, who's an amazing vocalist. It was kind of like a kind of like an emo, punky type band. Um, I was just playing like rhythm guitar. It was super fun. All the players in that band were like really li- like talk yeah. about feeling like the worst player in the room. Like The drummer from that band went on to play drums for like gallant and like all these like huge top 40 artists like he just tours the world wow. he's that he's that level of just you, you know. stay in touch no i haven't talked to i've i've talked to some of those cats a little bit i haven't talked to aj in a, in a minute but um it's anyways after i quit both of those bands i just kind of like set it down for a while and i was still there was a, a venue on campus that would ask me to play like once a semester and so i would do that as a solo artist yeah um but I was like, I'm going to do something else for a career. And so I just like started taking school super seriously. I thought I was going to maybe go to grad school. Then I decided I didn't want right. to go to grad school. Uh, and then I moved to Boston. And like that's kind of around the time that we reconnected. Like I moved to Boston. Was and working what, my desk what job. was it that made you say, I'm going to do something else for a career? I think I just got, you know, I had been trying to do something with music since I was 14. And so at this point I'm like 22. It's just like, it's almost a, yeah, I was young still, but I just was jaded for sure. It's just like, it's a, we were talking a little bit about this last night. It's just so much work to get. jaded quickly in the music industry. Yeah. It's so much work just to get someone to even care 
about even just to listen to what you're doing and so mm-hmm. i think i just got to a point where i kind of i kind of threw in the towel because i was tired of trying so hard and getting nowhere yeah so and i just wasn't having fun i wasn't having fun anymore because i i think there was a point in college playing with multiple bands like just so doing so many shows on top of school and so many rehearsals it was like a, it was like a nightly thing basically and so i just was burnt out i think i wanted a break and i i think i also just like was super depressed at that time in my life and that was part of it as well as me just being like feeling creatively uh in a in a creative lull even though i was still writing so did also the, very did the hard depression did the depression come from music or just how you no, reacted I think it's to just people's what, I think it's just where I was at in my life. I just went through a bad depressive episode towards the end of college. But mm-hmm. it coincided with not playing music. And I think it fed, you know, being super depressed did not make me want to get up on stage and write or, like, play my sad songs. Because most of my songs are pretty sad. It, yeah. It, it was too... For the first time in my life, I felt intimidated by the mic and the stage and sharing my... Like, I'd been so bold you know, as a young artist to just get up and sing about whatever and not really care what people think. Um, and then, yeah, at that age, I was just like, I don't, uh, I'm too scared now. And I'm too afraid to fit, like keep failing. I'm tired of failing. So I'm just gonna lay it up for a while. But after it only lasted for a couple of years, I mean, I moved to Boston, started working a desk job and was like, this is miserable. I need something. What was your desk job? I was working uh for oracle which is like a big yeah my mom works for oracle so yeah it was fine i mean it was a good job and that was part of it is like i was like you should be grateful that you have this like very good cushy well-paying tech job like right out of school and here you are like crying about it because you want to play your guitar like i I had weird guilt about that but ultimately i just wanted to play music brought you out to boston was it just the oracle job yeah i had an option to move to like San Francisco or Boston and San Francisco is just so expensive so I chose Boston. Yeah. Yeah. Which also isn't cheap, but not cheap but not San cheaper Francisco. Cheaper than San Francisco. Yeah. 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 Sure. So, and in Boston I kind of started like I started playing open mics again. I started writing a lot. I started playing with some kids from Berkeley School of Music. Um and I was enjoying it a lot, but Boston is a really difficult scene to break into. Everything is basically like residencies, even for like the middle level artists. You know, so if you look at a venue like even like a Lincoln Station, honestly, you know, like the equivalent of something like that, it's like, yeah, every night of the week, it's like, no, that's that dude's Tuesday night residency. You can play his part of as part of his two hours if he invites you to. But like you can't just contact venues and be like, hey, can I play here? Their first question is going to be like, what's your poll? And if you're like, well, I'm trying to build a fan base, whatever, you know, I could I remember telling one venue, I was like, I have friends here. Like, I'm confident I can pull. 35 people and he was like no i was like really 35 people like i can sell 35 tickets at 12 dollars pop like guarantee like i'll do this pay to play i'll buy them up front from you he was like not enough 75 75 75 people just to get your foot in the door Uh, and then if so like underneath that though it's just like coffee shops and stuff so you have to play you have to have a fan base to to book a a big sh- to book a show but you can't book a show without a f- yeah fan base yeah there was no like st- i didn't feel like there were many like starter venues i was only there for a year but um so yeah then like when i moved it was, so the boston scene was weird for you yeah i met some you know i met a couple people that were doing it full-time that were traveling a lot 
because um, there's so much, you know, the East Coast is very, like, condensed. So they're traveling up and down, you know, between Providence, Rhode Island, and Portland, Maine, playing all of these different sure. small towns. And they would invite me out on the road with them. But these dudes would basically be like, oh, yeah, like, come out on the road with me, like, so you, I can get a ride with you because I don't have a fucking car. <laughs> that was, that oh. seemed like it was the deal. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, how did Berkeley College of Music play into the music scene in Boston? Yeah, I don't feel like I was there long enough to really know. Yeah. And yeah, the kids that I was playing with didn't seem to really be playing live at all, which surprised me. They're great musicians, but yeah, they were just like, no, we just like hang out around here and just jam and like write. But they weren't like they weren't out playing, so we just like wrote a lot of music together and jammed. But none of them were playing any shows. Huh, so, interesting. So it was at least not the crew that I was hanging the with. The crew that you were hanging out with. Yeah. yeah. But you're I mean, you were still kind of college age at that point. Yeah, I was you know. fresh out of college. So Yeah. So you were doing the you're doing the day job thing in Boston. Oracle, that's a good job. Making good dough, making mm-hmm. the cheese. And but you whiny little bitch. You just had to play your guitar. <laughs> I had to. And I, yeah. 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 So I ended up moving out to Portland for a girl. Uh, and cause I like Portland, but I'm still there. Um, and I met some cool musicians out there and started kind of like doing it again a little more seriously and yeah. sort of have been since. So, um, are you, ha- you seem happy in Portland. You seem like you've kind of found home when you, yeah, moved. Portland's great. And I think the music community in Portland is so different compared to, I mean, I, I bet Denver has a flavor of this, but like compared to LA, like LA is really it's everybody for themselves. How can you help me? You can't help me. Okay, bye. And even then, it's like if your band sounds too much like mine, it's a hard like, fuck you. Like, go away. You're too, mm. you know, there's not enough space for us. In Portland, everybody is like, oh, like, I love your band. Let, like, you don't have a fan base, no problem. Like, let's, I'll put you on a bill with my band and, like, you'll get some of my fans because we sound similar. Like, it's just very everyone's super down to share everything and share players and share, Mm. you know, whatever. And like, there's like, we were talking about the show trade thing in Seattle, like how much, how many show trades we would do with people where we would hook them up with like a good show in Portland. And it it doesn't happen all the time, but most of the time they deliver like this band, Chris King and the gutter balls killer band, by the way, check them out. They're out of Seattle. Um, They hooked us up with this show, this like outdoor summer show. That was uh, he told That's us. Chris King and the Garter Balls. Chris King and the Gutter Balls. Gutter Balls. Yeah, cool. Sorry, I'm a bit of a mumbler. I like that name. Um, but yeah, he hooked it up with this like really dope outdoor, like summertime patio show, that was uh, just a massive party. Like, I mean, we had no draw in Seattle, and we played to well over like a hundred, hundred and fifty people. So, super fun. That's that's pretty rad. Yeah, and it paid too. Like it paid well. And we got free drinks and the whole thing. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's fun. And you, you still are. You're still doing the day job thing in in uh, in Portland. Yep. Similar job as you were doing at Oracle. <sighs> Not really. It's like kind of, but. And you do you enjoy doing it? Uh, it's okay. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, I've been there for a while, so yeah. it's fine. It and it has a lot of. F- I found a job that has a lot of like freedom and flexibility, so I have time for music stuff. Yeah, and I don't feel you burnt can do out every tours day or whatever. Yeah, I can do little tours. I can come home and I have enough energy to like get into my studio and write and record stuff and good mess around. So good, and you and you have a house out there now. Uh huh. 
Yeah, I know. I have a studio. A home one studio. of my one of my life goals of having a home studio. It's very. It's exciting. a pretty sweet home studio. It's not if bad. you go, if you go to, if you ever stop by Andrew Harrison's house in Portland, Oregon, you go into the garage, and you can't really park a car in there anymore. He took the end of the garage. Yeah, they're like the back half. And yeah, and built it up, a, you know, a few inches or a foot, and soundproofed it. And he's got. An electric kit in there, a state-of-the-art electric kit. He's got a Rhodes. He's got some nice mics. Uh, he's got an interface, and he does a lot of recording in there. Mm-hmm. It's a cool setup, man. It's not a bad setup. I'm all about the, uh, you know, I think as you are to a degree as well, but I'm all about the kind of DIY recording thing. I mean, Brother Not Brother has done all of our recording stuff just in the home studio and then we pay someone to mix it and yeah. that's where most of the magic happens but if you have some decent mics and a good room and you know how to track properly then it doesn't take that much you know like i have a i have a really nice condenser mic for vocals uh well, i have a couple but i've one like super nice one and then i just have like you know an sm58 and a sennheiser like mic amp or amp mic for tracking guitars and stuff and then we do the drums on the electronic kit uh, and send the dude who mixes everything the MIDI roll. Yeah. And he plugs in real drum sounds, mm. and uh, yeah, I mean it's a really like cheap, efficient way to be able to just pump out recordings. And then you have all of the freedom to just be like, like I've been working on this new project. These kind of like I keep calling it bummer pop, which I did not coin by the way. I definitely stole that from someone else in Portland. I just can't remember who, but mm. um, yeah, it's just like sad pop songs. And some of the songs have uh, are a little more produced. There's lots of layers and stuff. So I'll listen back to them. You know, I'll spend like a week uh, listening to it like a few times a day, just trying to pick out like if there's anything that I need to redo or if there's any other parts that I'm hearing. And then I have that freedom. Like the studio's just right there. So I can just pop in there and be like, ah, I actually want to redo that acoustic guitar take or I'm going to do the vocals again and again and again until it's perfect. And yeah, yeah, it's nice to be able to just like keep going back as opposed to being like, it's studio day and we got to nail this song today. Because... Yeah, some days you're like you're like I was good. I was like ninety five percent, but I would love for the recording to be on a day where I'm a hundred. You know, right? So it's funny actually. Recently, I was recording the song before I went on vacation. I was like, okay, I need to redo. Like, I just have the scratch vocals. I need to redo the vocals and get real vocals on there. I did twelve takes of this song just in a row, trying to get it, and I just was not. I mean, it sounded fine, but like I, I could feel that my voice was not placed properly in my body that day. I just was not feeling, it. feeling it. Yeah. And so I was like, whatever, when I'm out on the road, I will probably listen back and see if I can mix it together and cut takes together and, and make it work. And I ended up scrapping it all. And then I went back into the studio and did it in two takes. And the second take was perfect all the way through. Sure. I just had a day where I was like, my voice feels really good today. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's it's nice to be able to have that freedom of, like, there's less pressure. Like, if you're having an off day, if you can't get the solo perfect today, if you can't whatever today. And then I can push myself a little bit, too. I can write a solo that's a little more difficult for me with a line in there that, like, I don't get every time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, I'll get it one day. And yeah. Yeah. And then that'll be on, on the track. So, for the musicians listening, if you... If you're going to build a home studio, take us through what's necessary What's necessary to build a home studio on, say, a limited budget. What things would you do in your home studio to make something 
to make something that sounds that sounds radio quality how how can you do that in your basement give us give us musicians some insight to that yeah so i had the luxury of i was building a room from scratch right so that gave me the ability to actually soundproof if you're building it in an existing like let's say you have a guest bedroom that you want to make into a studio it's a little trickier to soundproof because you're just you're going to have to like build another room within the room so I'd say that's that's a good starting point if you want a soundproof space. Just Google room within a room. It's literally exactly what it sounds like. Uh, you're going to float the floor, um, and then you're going to build double walls that aren't touching. There's like a gap, uh, and you can there's you know you can do like a resilient channel, all these like fancy building techniques. I just did an air gap, double insulation. It's very soundproof. Um, but I would say the biggest things are like you need you need good acoustic treatments in there you know so like this room that we're sitting in right now you don't really have much in terms of acoustic treatments i'm sure when if you're tracking something like you were mentioning before you throw a blanket somewhere or whatever that's pretty crucial because you want it to be dead right you want it to be a blank slate and you don't want the room unless you're recording drums or something you don't want the room really coloring that much right um so that's a good start and then in terms of gear um, so like in my studio, I've got acoustic panels hanging on, I've got soundboard on the walls. So that makes the wall super dead. On top of that, I have these like thick insulated acoustic panels that absorb a ton of sound. I have these big cylinders in the corners that are, and, uh, corner foam pieces for bass traps to make sure that the bass sounds don't get trapped in the corners. Um, and if you go into the room and clap your hands, I mean, it's just like, it's a complete dead space sonically, which is recording for recording that's what i wanted so um and then i would say in terms of gear i mean i think we started with the same thing like just a little pre-sonos like 85 dollar you know audio interface with two channels um yeah i don't have a mix board in my home studio um i just have like a nice uh 18 channel focus right so it sounds like mount uh, an important thing to start off is having something that's somewhat soundproof um Right. I mean, for me, I want to be able to record pretty much whenever. Um, so the soundproof for me is less about the sound getting out because I don't really care about anyone except for myself. Right. Um, it's more Typical ab- musician. Yeah. It's more about <laughs> it's more about the sound getting in. Right. I don't want to be tracking something and then a loud truck drives by and I'm like, oh, that was a great take. I can't use it now because you can hear this truck when you're recording with like a nice condenser mic, you know. It's going to pick that up. So mm-hmm. for me, it was a little bit about, I had one neighbor that's pretty surly who was like, you know, you got to stop playing music in your guest bedroom, <laughs> basically. Yeah. Uh, and so I built the studio and um, yeah, now it's just nice because you go in there and it's just, it's silence. So sound gets out a little bit, but like nothing is getting in, yeah. hardly at all. So uh, that gives me the ability to track any time of day and just have a dedicated space where no one can yeah no one can mess it up yeah yeah so um so now getting into the equipment we've got a spot set up and and if you don't have if you don't have the ability to build from scratch you can always use walmart packing blankets to soundproof an existing room or if you're in college and you're trying to soundproof your closet in your shitty little dorm room you can do something like that and a lot of this stuff too if you're if you're crafty like you can make you can make good panels yeah, out of insulation, right. wood, and like cover it with some cloth. Yeah. Don't yeah. Don't feel like you necessarily need to go buy this stuff. I mean, I bought all this stuff 
all the acoustic treatment stuff from a studio that was closing down. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the dude, did you ever meet Mountaineer Mike? No. Probably not. Um, yeah, so that dude just had all this stuff and he was too lazy to sell it on Craigslist and get full price for it. And so I just walked in and I was like, well, I'll give you this and take everything off your hands like today. And so I just got it for super cheap. But if I hadn't, I would have built it myself. Yeah, sure. So so now when we get into the equipment in the studio, what's been the most valuable thing for you? If, if you had If you had to pick one thing to keep in there, I mean, obviously you need more than one thing to, to do yeah. your recordings, but what's the one Can thing we, where you're like, I really need this? Like just in terms of recording gear as opposed to instruments and stuff? Let's start with recording gear. Yeah, just okay. recording gear. That's a good question. Um, I mean, it's kind of, it's tough. I, I think I would probably say like my warm audio 251 mic mm-hmm. um which is a really nice tube condenser mic i love that i use it for everything i use it to track vocals and i use it as a room mic anytime i'm recording piano or guitar or whatever um and it makes my recording sounds you know like they're not coming from a home studio but that being said like you know a mistake i made early on in recording was thinking that i could do everything with a condenser mic and you can't when you're recording guitars through a loud guitar amp like you need you just need a uh, 57 on there yeah you know like or is, wait 58 uh, 58 either no, yeah, well 57 57 you want yeah. a 57 on there either one or the, the sennheiser trick. version of that right. so i have both um and those are both hundred dollar microphones do you prefer one over the other i like the sennheiser a little bit more but what's cool about having both is i can run i run my guitar through two amps at a time and then i can have a little dynamic mic on both amps and set up a room mic and have kind of three sounds to play with in the mix cool um even though it's just single take right um but yeah i would say i would pick two and i would just be like you need to have a good instrument mic get the 57 or that sennheiser mic or um yeah and then get a decent condenser mic because you can't do it's really tough to track like electric guitars and electric bass and things like that with so you would take you would take a nice mic and a crappy interface over a, a crappy mic and a nice interface. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The bottom line is like I might be I might be on the other end of that. So I feel like <laughs> I feel like the the two fifty one going through like the pre sonos is yeah, you're there's no point. So crappy in the sense that like it needs to be at least a certain level. The focus right is like nicer than the pre-sonos but it's we're still looking at like a low mid-level interface it's not sure. super fancy right but it's the preamps are definitely good enough to handle a nice twelve hundred dollar nice condenser mic yeah so uh and i've looked into like adding another um like actual preamp it somewhere in the chain i don't think it's worth it i think eventually i'll probably upgrade to like maybe yeah a universal audio piece or something uh so it's slightly nicer interface with slightly better preamps but for what i'm doing right now i think those mid-level like the focus right stuff those preamps are good enough to handle pretty much everything until you until you start getting into like really really nice condenser mics like a neumann or something and then yeah it's it doesn't make sense anymore right so but also if you're i mean i'm not we talked a little bit about this like i'm not really a gearhead right i like i'm into guitars and i'm into pedals and amps and stuff 
but like the studio stuff i'm not really i've never not really a big deal yeah i mean i've sp- I spent a, over a decade tracking in nice studios i never ever cared about any of what was happening you know i never paid right. attention which is a bummer because i could have learned so much but so now getting into it for myself at least like i want it to be as simple as possible so i don't want to be running through you know some crazy like rack mounted EQ system plus a preamp that I have to like dial in whatever like I just want to have one knob and have it be like solid so the focus right gives me that where it's like I just need to set the gain properly and that's it and then I'm good to go sure I don't have to worry about I don't have to mess around with all this other stuff you're fine so but it, the thing is is if you have a good sounding room and you have decent instruments and you're a good player um, and you know how to like place your microphones, then you don't really, really need all of that fancy in between stuff. That's for that's for the pros. And if you want to do that, great. But for me, it's like I just need. It's a, you know, all the gear that I'm getting right now is a means to an end, and that end is taking something from my brain and making it into a final product. Right. You know. So it's been super iterative over time, for sure. Uh, and when I first started recording myself, I really had no idea what I was doing. Um, and it's kind of taken some time to piece it together. But now I feel like I have it dialed in where, you know, like some of the Brother Not Brother stuff, especially once we started doing it in the home studio that I built that was like super treated. Um, yeah, I mean, there's people in the Portland music scene that will listen to that and they're like, where did you record? Like, this sounds great. Where did you record this? Did you guys record this at like, you know. Uh, Haller Halls or like Jackpot or something I'm like no just in my garage like my garage studio because again I feel like a lot of the magic happens in the mixing and mastering phase so if you can get does, good yeah. well-tracked stems and you know someone who really knows how to mix then you can get yourself about 95% of the way there and that 5% the only people are gonna be able to tell the difference are like people who with a really strong ear like probably an engineer when I think the other thing too is is the comfort level when I'm I've I've moved to I'm I'm trying to I I do most all keyboard parts right here because I have really good keyboards here I'm a keyboardist I've got mm-hmm. I've got nice shit Kevin has an organ with two Leslie's we don't really need the studio for that unless I wanted to track on a you know a clavinet D six or something and I didn't want to use uh, one that I've got on my Nord or or my Korg but. For all intents and purposes, I don't. I do keys here, and I do mostly guitar solos here too. And for me, I've gotten better stuff because I'm not thinking about paying a dollar a minute to track exactly. a guitar solo anymore. And that makes it better. It makes it more magical. It's more relaxed, and my for audience sure. is getting that good take where I'm feeling good. Yeah, I mean, you know? I think there are things that warrant going into the studio. You should not track live drums in your little home studio. You that is a that is its own art. You could take you could take get a degree on tracking drums, right? And if you've ever been in a in a legit studio, I mean, I've been in studios where they spend the entire an entire half a day just getting the drums set up, tuned, properly mic'd, and positioned in a room, and like every little mic dialed in. It literally four to five hours, and that's on before just that before they tracking. even hit record, just getting it set up. And then the guitar, we're talking 20 minutes, maybe, you know, and this is with an engineer who really wants to get it perfect, but the drums, it's going to take, yeah, it's going to take half a day. That's just what it takes to do it right. So, right. Yeah. 
So yeah, you're not going to get that in your home studio, which is why I do the the electronic drum kit again, just kind of like taking shortcuts where I can. Well, you, um, I can vouch that you have a really a really cool home studio, and this is something that's interesting to me, and is interesting to listeners too, because uh, well, some listeners, I, I apologize if we isolated anyone who's not a musician and just enjoys listening to the conversations because we totally just went into music music nerd mode yeah i've been pushing up my glasses this entire but, yeah, time on my nose minor inside my skull <laughs> it's it's uh but it's it's a fun it's a neat thing to talk about because product is so expensive to push out these days between the recording and the album art and the advertising and and blah 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 and it's so tough to get anyone to notice your stuff so you kind of have to find out a way to put out good quality consistent yeah, and not be content. paying to go to the studio all the time and it's not, too expensive right and, and i i think a big thing for for us musicians is getting as good at as many things as possible having a nice home studio set up and then knowing when to outsource yeah yeah again like sometimes you know your vocals are going to need to be done somewhere else maybe or whatever there are situations where i'm sure it makes sense to you know a horn section it. Yeah, horn section. Yeah, I don't know Whatever. how to. I don't know how to uh, record horns. Right. So if I wanted that and I wanted it to be real, I gotta go. I gotta outsource that. Gotta go do it. Yeah, um, for sure. But yeah, for most of the music that I like to make, I've kind of set it up where yeah, I should be able to produce this myself in my home studio space. This is the thing. This is why like you know DJs and SoundCloud rappers and stuff have like been able to do this from the bedroom is because everything's electronic. So they've figured they've set themselves up with the tools that they need so that they can just make really good sounding music and not pay a lot of money to do it. It's much more difficult when everything that I do is a live instrument, you know, with the exception of of the drum kit. But even that I'm playing it live, you know, I'm not. So um, it's a little it was a little bit trickier to get it to sound good because I'm not using electronic sounds except for the for the drums. Yeah. So. Um, it took some time, but I, yeah, I think that's the challenge for if you're a, a small, you know, singer songwriter type, there's really no, especially if you're, a lot of your stuff is like just vocals and acoustic guitar, you really should for pretty cheap, you should be able to figure out how to do this. You can do it in garage band for sure. Mm -hmm. You might need to pay someone to mix it for you for a small upgrade though. You can get logic. Yeah. Logic. Has 200 bucks. Yeah. It's a lot. It's worth it. But I think if you're a singer-songwriter type and you got like one of the small, like Focusrite Scarlet two inputs, which is a step above the Presonus, those mm -hmm. are probably like 250 bucks. Get yourself like a blue microphone or like an AKG under, you know, somewhere between three and five hundred dollars should be a sweet spot for a starter condenser. And then, honestly, that's all you need because you're just gonna use that condenser to track acoustic guitar and vocals. Um, and then, yeah, do it in a good sounding space. Uh, and then send it off to someone to who knows how to mix, and they'll make you sound like a million bucks. It'll sound like you did it in a studio, which is a cool thing. Yeah. <laughs> that's I mean that's that's the end goal, right? Is it for is. it to sound as good as possible. Yeah. So, I know you've been working on a new project, and you were involved in a a, a band for a while. Mm -hmm. Where are you at right now musically? What did you just finish up? Who have you been playing with? Who are you starting to play with? Fill us in on that a little bit. Sure. Yeah, so Brother Not Brother's been around and kicking for a little over four years. Uh, we're on a little hiatus right now. Um, but, you know, with the home studio, I just have a lot of stuff that I want to 
that I've been writing and w- want to record and release. So I started this new project called Blue You, um, which is me and my friend Keisha, who plays in, uh, she fronts a band in Portland called Kiki and the Dowry, and I play guitar in that band. Yeah. Um, and then my friend David, who plays in a bunch of bands, he's super busy, he plays in like Kululu, and he's on tour right now with Human Ottoman. Wait, 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 that's not how Dan pronounces that band like That's that? what they're called, right? Kululu, yeah. <laughs> I um, love that. I they're great. Don't. Look them up. Check them out. Search Crab Dad Kululu. You won't be disappointed. Um, yeah. So David has this other project called Shoulda Coulda Woulda that's still kind of in its infancy stages, but we've messed around with his songs and done some rehearsals and stuff. And you know, I think eventually I'll I'll play with that band a little bit. Um, but right now I'm sort of taking a break from playing live a ton and just focusing on writing and recording stuff in the home studio and really enjoying that process. For me, if I f- if you're a musician and you have songs and you've never brought them to life in a studio setting, like figure out a way to do find a friend who has a home studio. It's a it's a magical process. For me it's like yeah. one of the most fulfilling feelings is is yeah taking what song that i've written and, br- and bringing it to life um will you give us links so we can look up yeah i mean i already dropped my new, email the new project it, and that is actually your email it is actually my email it's at gmail um you'll have to go back to the beginning of the episode to catch the uh the beginning part but if anyone's listening to this that has questions about building home studio you can you can reach out to me I think that would be a could be a really good resource for some people, right? Because um, you you do have a pretty. I wish I could convey to the audience how cool your home studio is. It's really cool. Yeah, I and mean, it's legit. Like it's yeah, it's sonically very. I did a lot of research. I spent, I spent it. You know, it was on a budget ish, but just building the room, I definitely spent like thousands of dollars for sure. Well, it, so the, when you in, when you uh, involve wood and hammers and nails that's when i say okay I'm yeah that was a that. real that was a real issue for me um <laughs> i needed some help did you have some good i friends? need some help i needed some help getting started god bless you john stafford for helping me yeah. i was like i'd frame a wall like what um so i had some help once i got going i was like okay now i know what i'm doing but um yeah definitely had some help definitely had some help from like an electrician to get proper electrical in there um and had some help from some friends for the last final stages where we were lifting lots of like, you know, actually the walls were framed and we were like putting them up and finishing them with insulation and tacking them up and stuff like you got to have you got to have a friend for that. So, yeah, absolutely. Shout out to to Andrew and Ethan and Sean who helped me pull it together. It was about a year ago it was between Christmas and New Year's that we finally finished it. It was super good feeling. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Uh, well, I, I can't wait to check it out again next time. Yeah, well, I'll I'm give you. Town. Do you put well? You put links in like the show notes or I something. Put links in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. So I'll give you some links. Uh, Blue U's about to drop an EP, and I'll probably put out a live video maybe tomorrow. Actually, I've been thinking about it. Maybe I'll put it out tomorrow. You could, yeah, yeah. And so you can do it. Yeah, we'll have links for that, and I'll I will even give you my personal email. And if you have questions about home studio stuff, then hit me up. I'm happy to help. Andrew's a very nice guy. He's been nice ever since seventh grade. Uh, besides our our, uh, our one our brief baseball bat tackling tiff baseball yeah baseball bat tackling thing. 
I remember it like it was yesterday. It surprises me that that uh, that you don't. But it, it I remember it. Isn't like that it's funny though? How like, right now? I remember when you when you brought this up to me last year. You were like, there was almost like a little bit of like shame or something. You know, like it was like you'd been carrying this with you for a little bit, and you were like, <laughs> "Can we talk? Can we clear the air around this?" And I'm just sitting there like, I have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. And I thought that's so interesting. I mean, life is just like that. Like, you carry around this stuff. You think that people really care, really remember these yep. things. They don't. Nobody remembers. I, Nobody yeah. cares about you. And I don't mean that in a mean way, but it's just like no one's paying attention. So just li- yeah. live your life and be kind to people and, like, it's fine. I, I remember, uh, you know, Colton. He was in our – he went to – he was in our middle uh, Colton school. Colton is something that I would not forget. And, and uh, we – I actually saw him the other week with his daughter at the Buffs game because we used to go mm-hmm. out to all the Buffs games, mm-hmm. uh, both of us. And so it's really cool that he's passing that on to the next generation. We're mm-hmm. big, big Buffs basketball fans. Mm-hmm. But he blew his trumpet in my left ear as loud as he could in sixth <laughs> grade, and I have permanent hearing damage from it. I still feel that right that yeah, hearing. He ru- he fucked up your eardrum. Yeah, he did. And I told him about. I was. I finally. I mean, we're still super cool. But I finally yeah, told a, him. He was a sweet kid. He was kind of, you know. He was a sweet kid. He was squirrely, but like he's really nice. Really nice. He didn't mean harm no, to anybody. No, nope, he was nope trying to, to be funny, nobody. And know? we're super cool now, and, and we always have been. But I finally told him one day. I said, you know, I'm a full time musician. Yeah, you changed my life forever. I know you didn't know this, and, and he's like, oh, dude, I'm so. Sorry. There's no way he remembers that. <laughs> no chance. So yeah, go to go to sleep with that tonight and bouncing around your <laughs> noggin on your pillow. Think of all the people that you've hurt that you just have you can't even remember. You don't even you care. don't even remember. Uh well thanks for coming on. I super appreciate you, man. What uh, any any last words? No, thanks for having me and uh yeah. I don't know. Everyone right. just be cool out there. Don't fiddle any diddles. Just yeah, love each other. But not in that way, unless someone says it's okay. Let the hanging commence. All right. All right. Thanks, Andrew. Appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for crashing at the pad for a couple days. Thanks for the good times. It was great. I want to say a quick thanks to our sponsors, PQ Mastering. Uh, They put the finishing touches on this podcast. And for any of your audio or restoration needs, you can go to www.pqmastering.com. We also have our newest sponsor, Narrator RF. They offer simple and affordable licensing on exceptional music for sync. For example, if you're working on a video of some sort, perhaps uh, a wedding video, and you need some music to put in, some background music, you can go to narratorrf.com and type in music for wedding and it'll come up with some suggestions for you and you can you can buy one of the pieces and uh it's a it's a royalty free site so check it out narratorrf.com i'm one of the composers for them as well so i've got some i've got some stuff up there as well as a lot of other really talented denver composers if you like the episode please rate review the best way you can help the podcast is a five-star review and or a five-star rating, excuse me, and leaving a little review uh, in the Apple Podcast app. That is the number one way you can help us out and get to more people. So if you have the, a chance to do that, it would be greatly appreciated. For any questions, comments, concerns, hate mail, or death threats, send them to middleclassrockstar at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Have a great holiday, and we'll see you in a couple weeks. We're going to play the episode out with a song of Andrew's. 
This is his latest project called Blue You, which he categorizes under the genre of bummer pop. The song is called Hard to Say. Can't say for sure, then you're certain 